Can everybody hear me okay? Good deal. All right, I'm going to start this morning. We're going to be in John 4. Together we'll look at the story of Jesus with the woman at the well. And I want to start just by reading some verses starting in verse 27. Okay. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is God's word. And uh, it, is, it is true because it is God's word. And so what I, what I say to you this morning, it's only true so far as it lines up with what the word of God says. And for me personally this morning, um, I've been greatly encouraged to be around so many different kinds of believers already. Uh, where I preach normally in Alabama, uh, it is different in that it is the same. But what I am so encouraged by is that the message of the gospel in any pulpit, in any church, in the entire world is the same. And that we gather together as believers from all different places on earth and all different cultures to celebrate the truth of the one true God who is God over every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning as we look at your word that you would encourage us by what we hear from you. I pray that this would be um, true according to your word. Lord, I pray that we would be um, convicted, pray that we would be encouraged and uplifted, but most of all, pray that we would see your heart and your desire uh, to reveal yourself to us and, and to everyone. And um, I pray that uh, we would leave this place changed, um, m- more ready to serve you than we are now. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, if I were to ask for a show of hands, and you don't have to answer, that's fine. Um, but if, if, you're anything, if you're anything like me, you probably have some secrets in your life that you are glad that other people don't know, okay? I do, okay? I, I, there are many things in my life that um, I'm glad other people don't know. I will share with you a few of them uh, this morning, okay? So, for example, um, when I was four years old, okay, um, I found a bottle of cough syrup that my mom had, had left somewhere, and I drank the entire thing. Uh, I had to get my stomach pumped at the hospital. It was a very scary thing from what I remember, which is not much. Uh, and then when I was in fifth grade, um, we had a talent show, and I don't have a lot of talents, but I was pretty good at uh, pogo sticking. Do you know what pogo sticking is? It's like a spring, and you jump on it, and you, yeah. And so I, I, I decided to take as my talent pogo sticking to the fifth grade talent show, which is, uh, I don't know about Hungary or wherever you come from, it's not very cool, okay? It's not a great talent to have, right? Um, uh, I was once sent home from Bible camp when I was in high school because I broke some of the rules when I was there, okay? That was a long time ago. And then from about eighth grade all the way through about my junior year in high school, I had really, really bad acne, and my skin was really blemished all the time. Okay, these are, these, are, these are small things. Okay, these are things, obviously, they're not too shameful about my past because I don't mind sharing them with you. Um, but there are also things about my life um, that I wouldn't share with you. 
I might, as a part of my testimony, to show you where I was and how it is that God has changed me and how he's made me new in Jesus. But I, I, I wouldn't bring some of those things up as openly because I'm a bit more ashamed of those things. There are a bit more darker corners of my life that I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't broadcast. So maybe you have secrets as well. Maybe you have things about yourself that you don't want other people to know. Maybe you have said some things that you don't want people to hear. Maybe you, uh, you, you have to keep secrets yourself for that reason. Okay, maybe these secrets make you feel shame or regret. Okay, and here's the other thing. Maybe the thing about you that you wish people didn't know is, is not a secret. Maybe it's openly known. Maybe it's something that everybody knows about you that you wish they didn't. Something shameful from your past. <clears throat> uh, whatever these things are, we all have something like that, okay? And if I, were, if I were able to, right, if I were able to look into your past, look into your mind, into your heart, into your words and your actions from, from any day ever in your life, and I were to have the power, which I, I don't, luckily, don't be afraid, if I were to have the power to take it and put it up on the screen here for everyone to see so that everyone would know the real you, at least the real you who you used to be, none of you would bear to sit in the room while we watch the recording of your life. I know I would not. I'd be trying to find the, the power switch to, to kill. Okay? All of us have, have things like that. But let me ask one more question. Okay? If I could do that, if I could put your, your history up on the screen for everyone to see, why would that be good news? Why would it be a good thing for everyone to know who you are and what you've done? Why would someone being able to tell you everything about yourself from your shameful past, why would that be a good thing? Here we have in the story a woman who runs into the town, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And yet for her, She's not hiding from who she was. She's embracing the fact that this man knew everything about her. And for some reason, that is good news. So I want to share this story with you today where Jesus encounters a uh, Samaritan woman with a troubled past. Okay, so we will start looking today in verse 7 of John 4. Okay, just some, some context here about the ministry of Jesus because uh, I've, I've not preached the first three chapters of John and here we are in the fourth. Um, Jesus is growing more and more famous in his influence. He's, he's not at the level that he will be one day, but people know who he is generally. His disciples are baptizing a lot of people, and he wanted to head back to Galilee, which meant that he had to go through Samaria. Okay, Now, Jews and Samaritans don't get along well at all. They don't like each other at all. And so for Jesus to go through Samaria and interact with those people was, was something a bit out of character for most Jews in his day. Uh, the Jews thought that the Samaritans were an unclean people. Okay, so that's, that's some context. Jesus sits down. He has sent his disciples away to get some food. He's there. He's by this well, hoping to get a drink of water when up walks this Samaritan woman. So starting in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Okay, so this is the first scene. This is kind of an awkward interaction. She is by herself, though it's at the hottest part of the day. Jesus is by himself. And culturally, they're not supposed to be people who speak to each other at all. So the first thing we see is in this scene, Jesus asks her for a drink. It would seem that Jesus has absolutely no business talking with this woman. She knows this. That's why she says to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for water? Don't you know that I'm a Samaritan woman? And you, a Jew, we really shouldn't be talking. It seems that she was as shocked as anyone that Jesus would stop and talk to her. Okay? Jesus is a Jew. She is a Samaritan. Samaritans are, um, they have an interesting history with the Jewish people, right? But but for the, for the sake of where we are today, uh, they were basically considered sort of uh, half-breeds by the Jewish people. They, they weren't honored with being able to call themselves complete and, and total Jews the way that the Jewish people would, okay? Uh, Jews would not use dishes that had been used by a Samaritan person. They would not eat food that had been handled by a Samaritan person. These people were considered to be unclean. Uh, because of the history as a people and the interpretation of the Old Testament, they just didn't really get along. As I understand it, um, you can actually find some Jewish writings that speak to their hatred of the Samaritans. And some Jewish scholars even went so far as to say the Samaritans' only purpose of existence was to be wood for the fires of hell. Okay? So I I don't want us to ignore the fact that in this moment, one of the first things we see is that Jesus is walking right across that cultural barrier to communicate something to a woman that according to his custom and culture, he is supposed to have nothing to do with. The Jewish uh, custom and culture. Second of all, you'll, you'll note that this woman was coming to the well at the hottest hour of the day and that she is all by herself. And understanding how things worked in that day, this is unusual. Women usually travel together in packs. You were safer that way, okay? And you didn't usually come at the hottest part of the day. You usually either came in the morning when it was cooler or in the evening when it was cooler. So the fact that she is there by herself also communicates that there is something about her that might be peculiar. This is uh, even more made so to be the case when we understand a little bit about her history as the story continues to unfold. As we learn about this, her past, we, we understand that she has a history of sexual sin and has been remarried multiple times. This would have been a shameful thing in that day. Uh, my understanding is that Jewish custom was that r- really to be married more than three times was out of the question. 
Um, there would have been a tremendous amount of pain for her personally. Um, here, here, here's what I understand about divorce. I'm very fortunate. I've been married to my wife for 10 years, and that's it. I, I know that divorce is a very real thing, okay? And I also know, I also know that there are reasons in the Bible that seem to be uh, acceptable reasons for divorce, okay? But what I will say is this, okay? Regardless of whatever has happened to a person who has been divorced, no one wanted that, okay? No one wanted that. No one gets married with the expectation that they will one day get divorced. Or maybe if this doesn't work out, one day we can get divorced. It's not casual. In, in, in my country, divorce is very casual, okay? The reasons being uh, not because of adultery necessi- necessarily or any form of abuse, but because we just don't love each other anymore. Sometimes, sometimes is what I mean, right? And so what I want to say about that with with respecting the circumstances that might have been the case in her life, okay, is that wherever she's coming from and whatever her history is, she is a person who has a history of a lot of pain, okay? She is a person coming from a position of a lot of pain. This is probably why she's by herself We don't know this for certain, but it it does seem to make sense that she would be ashamed of who she was, not wanting to socialize with the other women, not wanting to be judged by the other women, going to the well by herself with the intention of avoiding them altogether. Jesus was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. Jesus is a sinless person. None of us are, right? He was a respected teacher um, already in that day, and she was a woman with a checkered past. And that day, it really is astonishing that Jesus would have stopped and talked to this woman. People who knew who Jesus was and people who knew who she was would have seen from afar them talking together by the well, and they would have said things like, what is he doing talking to her? Doesn't he know who she is? Doesn't she know who he is? How is it that this respected teacher can be speaking to her in open day, don't they know that that's not supposed to happen? The second thing we see very clearly is that Jesus actually offers her a drink. Jesus responds to her question, if if you knew who I was, actually, you would be asking me for a drink of water. Okay, now, this is interesting. Uh, Oftentimes, Jesus talks about things when he talks to people, And he is actually talking about something way up here, okay? He's using a grand metaphor, some kind of illustration. And they think that he's talking about something right in front of them. Okay, so in John 3, we see that he just talked to Nicodemus, the the Jewish leader, and he said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking, born again, okay, how do I go back into my mother to be born a second time? And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm, I'm talking about, right? He thinks about the physical thing, the literal thing right in front of them, even though Jesus is talking about something far more magnificent and above his head. The same is true for the Samaritan woman. If if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, so it's clear here, Jesus is not offering her mere water. He's offering her eternal life, but she doesn't understand this. 
at least not yet. However, the offer to have a drink of water, a drink of water that never needs to be replenished, is something that is enticing for her. She is interested in what he's saying. Sir, if you would give me this water, I wouldn't have to come here anymore to draw water. I wouldn't have to come at the hottest part of a day to avoid the judgmentalism of the other women, to be here all by myself. I, I wouldn't have to do this. Please, can I have this water? Uh, we were joking. Our, our team was joking. We were in the Amsterdam airport for a very long time, longer than we planned on being anyway. And um, uh, I, I'm used to being able to t- turn around and there's a water fountain, like everywhere I go. Water fountains are everywhere. We, I, there was one I knew about in the Amsterdam. I'm sure there were many, many more, but there's only one I could find. And so me too, right? Being able to have a drink of water that didn't need to be replenished, that would be, that would be great. I understand where she's coming from in that regard. Okay, and what we're going to see next, this conversation, Jesus has talked about everything with this woman and at the same time, from her perspective, almost nothing at all. She thinks they're having a conversation about water. Jesus is talking about eternal life. And next, what happens is really interesting. And this is where we see Jesus doing things that really only Jesus can do. Okay, he's going he's gonna to very carefully, very intentionally sort of push on her heart in a place where it hurts. Okay, I don't know if, you, if you've ever had a, a bruise. I'm sure you have, okay? Um, I, I grew up in a big family, and often we would, we would play with each other in ways where we would get bruises, and sometimes it was fun to walk up to your sister where she had this, you know, purple, blue, yellow, green bruise on her arm and sort of push it, right? It hurts. Maybe that sounds incredibly sadistic. For us, we were just playing around. That's how we played around, okay? Right? So maybe you wouldn't do that. That just means you're better people with me, and I'll, I'll add that to the list of things that's shameful from my past, okay? All right? So, so he's going to very carefully sort of push where it is that she's tender, okay? And it seems cruel at first if you misunderstand what Jesus is doing. But let's just, let's just read it, and we'll, we'll see what happens, okay? Um, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Okay, this is interesting. And if you're following in John's gospel, this is the, the clearest, at least so far, the clearest declaration from Jesus as to who he really is. People all over are whispering, is this, could this be the son of David? Might this person be the Messiah, right? But he looks at this woman, this seemingly random Samaritan woman, 
that according to their culture, he has no business talking to, and he communicates to her that he is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. So Jesus presses where it hurts. He goes right after why it is that she's so wounded. He gets all up in her checkered past and makes it right out in the open. Go call your husband. Now, I, I know you don't have a husband. As a matter of fact, the person you are now living with and presumably also sleeping with, right, is not your husband. You're not even married to this man, okay? And the previous five men that you have been married to, you're no longer married to. So even if we were to assume that she was just a very unfortunate woman who kept having husbands die, okay, she is still in a position of great pain, and she still would have been viewed by the society as someone that was shameful because of what they would have assumed about her, right? Jesus is not here pressing where it hurts in this woman so that she will feel the sting of judgmentalism. He's not wanting her to regret her past even more. He's being strategic. He's not so much trying to wound her as he is trying to reveal to her that he knows where it is that she is hurting. He's not trying to hurt her further, but in a unique and special way, reveal to her exactly who he is. I don't know about you, okay? But uh, sometimes you might be in a room with people and they're talking and someone says something that's uncomfortable, okay? And what do you do when someone says something that is uncomfortable? You change the subject. Let's talk about something else over here, right? Uh, and so that's sort of what she does here. So right in, in, in what seems to be this building tension of this moment, Jesus admits to her, I know who you are. I, I know everything about you. I know that you've, you're currently sleeping with a man you're not married to. The previous five men you have been married to, you're no longer married to. I know who you are. I know why you're here. I know why you're by yourself at the hottest part of the day. And she changes the subject. Makes sense. I actually don't want to talk to you about that, stranger. She asks him some thoughts about a religious debate between the Jews and the Samaritans, okay? Now, the history of the Samaritan people is interesting, okay? We don't exactly know everything that we should about how it is that they sort of branched off from Judaism. It could be that they were a, a new people sort of established after, after uh, tribes returned from having been exiled, okay? But that's the best guess we have, and we don't know perfectly, because a lot of the information we have about the Samaritans, we have from the Jewish people themselves. And as we already noted, they didn't like the Samaritans, right? And so they, they can't be relied upon to be 100% accurate about what the Samaritans are, who the Samaritans are, okay? But we do know that it, it seems that a major difference between the Samaritans and the Jews is that the Samaritans only really accepted the first five books of the Old Testament as their Bible, the, the Pentateuch, okay? Whereas the Jews had on top of that the prophets' writings, they had uh, the Psalms and Proverbs, the wisdom literature, they had the history books, right? They accepted the whole Old Testament as their canon, okay? So some of these differences between what they read and believed came out in this principal primary debate, which mountain do we worship God on? 
right? Which mountain do we worship God on? And they disagreed about that. And so she asked Jesus, well, you know, you Jews say that we should worship God over there, and, and we think that we should worship God over here. What is it that you say? You seem to be smart. Surely you have an opinion on this issue. Uh, he answers her question by revealing to her that there is a day coming. And because he, the Messiah, is now here, the day is here, it is now. Okay? Where the physical reality about where you worship God doesn't matter like it does in their day. Okay? And, and, and as I read this and I think about this myself, I realize that I, I just, again, it's an eye opening experience for me sang hymns and songs to Jesus in a Hungarian church with people from all over the world, right? This is true today in, in, our, in our gathering. We see this, right? We didn't all have to get tickets and fly to a mountain in, in, in the middle of another part of the world to, to worship God in a way that would be truthful and spirited. We did that here and now because God is here and now with us in this room. So... Um, because of the arrival of the true Messiah, um, Jesus is ushering in a dawning of a new age. As Jesus is the true temple, and, the, and, and he is the one who is the resurrection and the life, whose death will usher in the new covenant, the time is coming and is now here. So true worshipers are not marked by where they worship, but how they worship. Namely, in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? I, I will quickly tell you what I, I believe this passage is teaching about that. Okay, first, as we already noted, that the physical characteristics of the old covenant uh, are, are, are done away with in Christ. Okay, so we don't have to worship God at a temple. Um, we can and should worship God anywhere we go. All of creation is his. All of it is, the, is his throne room, right? We can worship him wherever we go. Our lives are to be much more about worshiping God than merely what takes place in a gathered room with other believers on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. We can take this principle, I think, too far, okay? And we can sort of minimize the importance of gathering together, which the book of Hebrews warns about, but all of you have not. You're here. This is great. Okay, but we can worship God anywhere we want to. Second, one of the things I think we learn about God um, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay, is that God actually does really care about how it is that he is worshipped. God is particular in that kind of sense, okay? And I don't mean the, I don't mean the style of music. I, I don't mean the presence of some instruments or others. That's not, that's not so much what I mean. What I mean is that God cares about who he is. He reveals himself in a very particular way. And we, we don't get to make up things about God and change who he is in a way that might be more culturally acceptable, okay, that might diminish who it is that he has revealed himself to be. Okay, in our day, we see this very clearly and that there are many ideas about God that are not true from the Bible. Even in the Christian church back home, you will note that in, in some churches, there are blasphemous ideas about Jesus that are presented as true. Sometimes we do this by omitting certain details about who God is and how he's revealed himself because we want him to be more this way or that way. 
Okay, in, in America, it's very easy to create an idol of like this American God. Okay, and we, we make him to kind of mirror our culture. Okay, and that's an idol. That's, that's not, 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 not every, I'm not saying every church in America is an idol. I'm, I'm saying that it's, it's easy for us to shape God and make him like us. Okay, I think sometimes we do this by, by removing certain ideas about how, how God paints himself in the Bible. And then I think sometimes we do this by overemphasizing certain attributes of God that are true about him. And so in some churches, they're, they're, they constantly speak about the, the openness of God, the, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, which is absolutely true of God. I am not here to tell you God is not gracious and merciful and loving. Of course he is. Of course he is. He goes through great pains in the scriptures to communicate just how gracious, just how merciful, just how loving he is, right? But there's also the reality in the Bible that is present that God demands we repent of our sins and find salvation in his son, Jesus. God doesn't wink at your sin. He doesn't just pretend it doesn't exist. And sometimes I apologize to people, as we've already mentioned my track record, okay? Sometimes I have to apologize to people more often than I probably should have to, but I do, right? And when I do, it's very easy for people to say, hey, don't worry about it, okay? It's, it's harder to look at someone and say, yes, you did wrong me, but I forgive you, right? Jesus doesn't just look at our sin and say, hey, don't worry about it, not a big deal. It is a big deal. And he forgives us of our sin, right? We'll talk about that more in a second. The, the point is we can overemphasize certain attributes of God and still do the same thing, just making him appear the way we want to, right? The reason why I bring that up is because I think that we will never truly know Jesus intimately if we don't know him accurately. I think that's important. And so when the Bible calls us to worship God, in spirit and in truth, I think we're to worship God as he reveals himself to us. And we need to make sure and constantly check our hearts that we're not worshiping a God of our own making, that we're not worshiping an idol. It doesn't matter how spirited our worship is if it is false worship. In the words already spoken to this woman, Jesus is revealing something amazingly profound. That she is standing at a turning point in human history because of the arrival of the Messiah. That she specifically, in this moment, is standing here talking to a man about this hypothetical, theological, debated topic. And he is saying, because I'm here, that actually doesn't matter as much as you think it does. Right? You need to worship God in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking true worshipers now and forever. Okay? And here's, here's the really cool thing that I think is what happens in the story. If you can just picture it in your head, right? They have this debate, not really a debate, but she asks him his thoughts. He, he gives his thoughts, okay? And she essentially says, yeah, okay, well, you know, the Messiah is coming. And one day when he gets here, he'll sort all of this out. He'll tell us all things. He'll be the one to actually settle this debate, okay? And Jesus looks at this woman and says, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. What I have said is the settled issue. 
worship God in spirit and in truth. So it's getting to this great point, right? They've had this this conflict where Jesus has told her completely, I know who you are, I know what you've done, I know all about the shameful, hidden past that you want to hide from everybody else. Because she distracts a little bit, goes on a rabbit trail, that's what I call it anyway, a rabbit trail, and she says, okay, well, what about this? Do we worship God on this mountain or that mountain? He tells her in spirit and in truth, right as the conflict is building, right as it's about to get really, really good, who should show up but the disciples? Okay? This is, I I often feel like I'm getting in the way of something, right? And so I, I, I relate to the disciples. In this story, okay, they show up and they're like, what is happening? What is, what is happening? Just then, verse 27, his disciples came back. They marveled that, she, that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they were out of the town and they were coming to him. I want to be clear, okay? We, we don't have in John's gospel this, this clear set of verses that tells us everything that is happening in this woman's heart. We don't. We don't have a moment where she looked at Jesus and she said, you are the Messiah and I believe in you and I trust in you in faith. Please heal me of my sins. We don't have that on screen, okay? But we have how she responds to the encounter with Jesus that she had. She had an encounter with Jesus where Jesus revealed himself to her as the Messiah and he offered her eternal life. After revealing that he was the Messiah, she puts down her water jug and she runs through the streets, screaming to all of the people about her encounter with Jesus. These are the same people that she was previously avoiding, and now she is inviting them to join her at the well to come and meet this man. And lastly, what we see about her and her change here is unique. Her message isn't, hey, You've got to come and meet this guy. Remember how I used to have this crippling disease? He healed me of it. That's the story of many people in the New Testament. It wasn't, hey, there's this guy over there. He claims he's the Messiah. You've got to come and check it out. It was, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. If these are the people she's avoiding, okay, they know who she is. They know her history. They know her past. They know the parts of her she's trying to hide from everybody else. Their response might have been, big deal. Everyone knows who you are. It's not exactly a secret. Okay? But here's the thing. The man who came to talk to her is the Messiah. And whereas with everyone else, she couldn't bear to be around them because of her shame, he offers her eternal life. She had a shameful and sinful past, and Jesus knew everything about it. Why is that good news? Why would that be good news? We asked earlier, if I could put your history up on the screen and show it to everybody, who could bear to be in the room? I could not. Why would it be good news for people to know everything about you? So many of us are like this woman, and because of our sin 
and the shame that we have associated with it, we think, if Jesus knew who I was, if he knew what I'd done, there's no way that he could ever love and accept me. And in walks Jesus, right into the middle of her pain. And he announces, I know exactly who you are. And I am the Messiah, and I am here, and I am offering you eternal life anyway. The reason why it is such good news that Jesus knows all about her sin and all about our sin, all about our shameful past, is because it is with great intentionality that Jesus takes these things to the cross and he pays for them. The ultimate need of the woman at the well and the ultimate need of all of us is not to have a drink of water. It's not that Jesus would add something to our lives that would make us happy or successful or intellectual or that he would help us in some kind of way to thrive socially, right? It's not that he would make us famous, that he would establish us in some kind of way. Our ultimate need is that Jesus would take the full weight of our sin to the cross and nail it there. And so, of course, it's good news that he knows everything that we've done because that's what he's taking to pay for. There's a verse. um, I I don't have the reference written down. I think it is Colossians 3, 13 and 14. Okay, I should have written that down, but here's what it says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He cancels the record of our debt by nailing it to the cross. Who has the power to forgive debts? Only one person, the person to whom that debt is owed. I can cancel any debt that anyone has towards me. I can't cancel someone else's debt, but I can cancel what you owe me, right? And that's what, that's what Jesus does. He cancels the record of debt because it is him to who we owe our debt, our debt of sin. Psalm 51, David talks about this when he confesses. Now, Let's be very clear. David wronged a lot of people when he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah. David wronged a lot of people when he did that. But in Psalm 51, he says to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is wicked in your sight. Okay, our debt of sin is something that we owe to the Father and Jesus cancels the record of our debt. Not, again, not by just saying, hey, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. That would make him unjust. Jesus cancels the record of our sin, the debt that we owe him, by going to the cross and bearing our punishment for us. It's not something that he just casts aside. It's something that he actually pays for himself. Horatio Spafford is a hymn writer. And in the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, he says this, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's why it's good news. 
that Jesus knows everything we've ever done. So, okay, so real quickly, just a few more things. Some of you may be here in this morning, this, mo- this morning, and I, I don't know where you come from uh, in terms of your spiritual walk with Christ. I, I, I don't know if you have a thriving relationship with him or if you just wandered in this morning. I have no idea. But it's possible that you think, Jesus can't save me. He wouldn't accept me because of all that I've done. If he knew who I was, if he knew what I'd done, there's no way he would forgive me of my sin. There's a reason why the cross is so brutal and so bloody, and it's because the debt of sin is so bad. Jesus didn't go to the cross to die for people who don't need saving. He went to the cross because we all need saving. All of us have messy lives, and all of us are capable of great sin, and all of us have committed great sin, and Jesus goes to the cross intentionally to pay for all of it. Of course we should think that Jesus can forgive our sin. Please don't let that hold you back. Second, some of you are here and and you think, well, yes, Jesus saved me. Okay, I have been a Christian now for quite some time. But when I look back on my life since I've been a Christian, I'm not exactly all that impressive. Okay, I, I still struggle with some of the same sins I've always struggled with. There are things in my life that simply can just never go away. And so, yes, I'm certain that at one point in my past, Jesus loved me and he forgave me, but I'm just not so sure now. Maybe, perhaps maybe, maybe he doesn't love me anymore because of what I've done. I love in 1 John, uh, 1 John 2, 1, this verse. I I love that John, John, who is writing to people who do know Christ, and to the people who do know Christ, who are Christians, he says this, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, Jesus, like he doesn't just deal with sin on the cross and then forget all about sin, right? He, he continues to deal with sin ongoing in our lives as it continues to pop up. He's not done with us because we have lived these unimpressive lives since he saved us. He knows how messy it is to be us. I'm so thankful for a a sympathetic high priest who knows what it is like to, to be tempted in every way that we are yet without sin himself. So if you have sinned and you feel like you are far from God because of your current sin, today can be a new day for you and you can return to the cross once again and see your record, your debt has been paid by the Almighty. There's no surprising Jesus with some new sin that he didn't account for when he died for you. He knows you. He knows everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do, and the cross covers all of it. Is your sin keeping you from coming to Christ for the first time? Repent and believe the gospel and trust in Christ. Is your sin, your current sin, Christian, something that keeps you from drawing near to the Father, that keeps you from coming to Jesus? Again, because you think that he's ashamed of you since he saved you. He doesn't want to talk to you, right? That's what you think. Maybe repent and believe the gospel and trust in Christ. Lastly, let me say this. This is just to finish our story about this woman. I want you to notice the effect that her encounter with Jesus had on her, okay? Not only did she go away changed, she went away bearing testimony to the change that had become her. 
Verse 39 says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Two points about this briefly. Okay, first, an encounter with Jesus should change your life. It should. You should go away changed because Jesus has saved you. The New Testament knows nothing of believers who persist in sin and do not bear fruit. That doesn't mean you won't ever sin. Okay, we just covered that in 1 John 2, 1. That doesn't mean that fruit will always be in great abundance in your life constantly. Okay, I understand that we all go through seasons of sin and we all go through seasons of, of where there seems to be no fruit. I understand that that is the experience of being a Christian in a broken world. Okay, but the encounter with Jesus should change our lives. We should live differently because we have been saved by him. And not only... Should an encounter with Jesus change our life? It should change the way that we interact with other people. No longer was this woman ashamed of who she had been, but who she had been became the catalyst for bringing other people to meet Christ. We see a woman transform from hiding from people because of her sin to basically using her sin as the platform for which she tells other people about Jesus, right? Like some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm too broken. I'm too busted up. I'm too sinful. I'm like, you're, you're exactly what Christ wants. How much more glory is he going to receive because he has made you, even you, a recipient of his grace and his mercy, a new creation, My, my prayer for all of us is that we would have confidence in Jesus' power to save us completely, that we would trust in his ability to continue to make us new as we continually repent of the sin even long after we have been saved. Okay, there are a lot of names for Jesus that we find in the Bible. There are a lot of ways that people describe Jesus in the Bible. I have many favorites, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, but today in this moment, as I reflect on this passage, I think about what is the greatest way that I can think that Jesus has been described in the Bible. And I say, the man who told me everything I ever did. Because the man, the God who knows everything I ever did, forgave me of it all. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it spans across cultures and nations and generations and God will advance forever into your glory. I thank you that we can sit here and proclaim a Jesus who forgives sins and that is a relevant message for anyone everywhere at all times. And so Lord, I pray that in this, in this moment for the people in this room and for myself, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves this morning, if we are people, if there are people in this room who do not know you and have neglected to come to you for salvation for any reason, I pray that you would open their eyes, that you would soften their hearts, that you would help them to realize that you have gone to the cross to suffer and die in their place so that they can have forgiveness and live everlasting life with you in heaven forever. I pray that you would, in this moment,
convict them of their sins and give them the gift of faith in your name. And Lord, I, I know from, from talking with people and from interacting with people and worshiping with the people in this room that there are many here, perhaps all of us, who, who do know you and are confident in the fact that you have saved us, God. But I, but I also know that we still deal with sin in our own lives. We still struggle with sin. And so, Father, I pray that you would convict us. Pray that we would walk away from the sin that we are currently living in, that we would repent and that we would trust that you, you still love us. You have come that our sin would be forgiven. So help us to know that we are forgiven, not just when you first saved us, but all throughout our lives and help us to let go of the sin that we're walking in, that we would follow you. And God, I pray that we would all be people, not that not just follow you and the confidence that we have been saved, but that also eagerly proclaim what it is that you have done in our lives so that we would make the kingdom richer and fuller of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Father, be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name.